This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Later on this evening, we'll get a visit from Nick Carter, master detective to solve another crime. But first, we're going to have a visit with Eve Arden as our Miss Brooks. Almost without fail, the show would center on her love interest with Mr. Boynton. So, before we hear tonight's show, let's peek behind the curtain and find out a little bit about the actor who played Philip Boynton. That role fell to Jeff Chandler. Now, he was an American actor, film producer, and singer best remembered for playing Cochise in Broken Arrow back in 1950, for which he was Oscar-nominated. Chandler said he always wanted to act, but courses for commercial art were cheaper, so he studied art for a year and worked as a layout artist for a a mail-order catalog at $18 a week. He initially struggled to find work in Hollywood and had to spend all his savings when he got his first job as a radio actor in May of 1946, He went on to appear in episodes of anthology drama series such as Escape and Academy Award Theater. And he received more attention playing Eve Arden's boyfriend on radio in Our Miss Brooks, which debuted in July of 1948 and became a massive hit. Chandler's performance in Our Miss Brooks brought him to the attention of executives at Universal, who were looking for someone to play an Israeli leader in Sword in the Desert back in 1948. He was cast in February... And Chandler impressed studio executives so much with his work that shortly into filming, Universal gave him a seven-year contract. Not everybody was impressed. Uh, when Maureen O'Hara was acting with him in War Arrow, she said, quote, Jeff was a real sweetheart, but acting with him was like acting with a broomstick. <laughs> so, let's check out tonight's episode of Our Ms. Brooks, and it's entitled The Weighing Machine. I'm Ollie Soap, your beauty hope and luster cream shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair bring you Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks teaches English at Madison High School. And although, like most of our teachers, she possesses a higher-than-average intelligence, she also possesses the higher-than-average curiosity of most of our women especially when it comes to weighing machines. There's nobody more concerned about the result than a female who has just deposited her penny in the slot. Unless it's the male tub of lard who was on the scale when I got there. (laughs) This happened last Wednesday after school. I was passing the drugstore and just happened to have a penny on me. Tuesday was payday. (laughs) So I approached the weighing machine, and like I said, this brewery horse was stomping on the springs. And when he saw his weight on the little card, he looked around the drugstore, then made tracks for a sign saying girdle department. I calmly stepped aboard, and when my card came out, I glanced casually at my weight, 
chuckled as if to say, how much accuracy can you expect for a cent? <laughs> and was just about to throw the card away when I noticed my fortune printed on the back. It said, a tall, dark man is coming into your life. Then, of course, I did drop the card. It landed in my purse, and I proceeded on home. <laughs> By the next morning, I'd forgotten about it completely. As usual, I'd left word for Mrs. Davis, my landlady, to wake me at 7.30. Connie, oh, Connie. Oh, what is it? Better hurry, Connie. You've only got 20 minutes. 20 minutes? What time is it? 7.10, and you've only got 20 minutes to sleep. Oh, fine. <laughs> Well, come on in, Mrs. Davis. Did you have a good night, Connie? I said, did you have a good night? Good night, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> you better get up now, Connie. Here, I brought you some fruit juice. Go on, Connie, take a sip. Oh, what kind of juice is this? It's a combination. Pineapple, papaya, and passion fruit. <laughs> it's a genuine Hawaiian recipe. What do you stir it with, a ukulele? <laughs> After you drink it, we'll have a night. Why, Connie, what's that little white card? What little white card? This one here on your night table. Let's see. Uh, uh, a tall, dark man is coming into your life. Now, who do you suppose that could be? Well, it's not Sonny Tuff. He's a blonde. <laughs> Maybe they mean Mr. Philip Bonington. The bashful biologist? No, Mrs. Davis. So far, he's managed to remain in the suburbs of my life. <laughs> Well, of course, I don't believe in fortunes on cards and crystal gazing and palm reading and all that nonsense. There is, however, a logical and scientific way to arrive at certain conclusions about one's personal destiny. What's that, Mrs. Davis? Tea leaves. <laughs> now, you hurry and get dressed and I'll brew the tea. After breakfast, I'll do your reading. All right, Mrs. Davis. Oh, just a minute. What is it, Connie? Before I get out of bed, you better take that tall, dark man off my night table. <laughs> With your tea, Connie. Yes, Mrs. Davis. Mm, let's see now. Where are the leaves? Well, most of them are in my teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Here we are. There's plenty left for a reading. First, we revolve the cup three times slowly between our hands, then quickly turn it over onto the saucer. There. Well, what do you know? The weight card was right. What? There he is, right there in the cup. The tall, dark man who's coming into your life. Don't tell me you can't see him. Oh, of course. For a minute, I didn't recognize him with all those tea leaves on. <laughs> this is an amazing coincidence, Connie. I'd like to get another reading, if you don't mind. Oh, not at all, Mrs. Davis. It's always nice to be sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, what do you know about that? I know, he's gone. Left town without even saying goodbye. <laughs> Be serious. This is an amazing thing I see in this cup. What now, Mrs. Davis? Uh, I don't think I should tell you. Why not? Because you're not even married yet. Oh, but I'm a big girl now. <laughs> I'll have to find out sooner or later. I never would have believed it. Three of them. Three tall dark men? No, Constance. Three little ones. Three little dark men? <laughs> Children. You're going to have three children. Well, don't look so shocked, Mrs. Davis. Maybe they're his by a former marriage. <laughs> no, no, Connie, they're yours. But how can you keep your job at school if you've got to take care of... Oh, I know. I'll get Mrs. Fletcher. 
When my niece Bertha had the twins, <laughs> Mrs. Fletcher took over completely. Oh, now, just a minute, Mrs. Davis. Don't you now, quiet, honey. You can't prepare. You can't prepare too soon for this sort of thing. Now, where did I put Mrs. Fletcher's phone number? I did call... I don't want Mrs. Fletcher. I'll take care of my kids myself. <laughs> After all, I'm only trying to be helpful. Oh, I'm sorry, Mrs. Davis. This tea leaf business is pretty fascinating. But I better get ready. Walter Denton's giving me a lift to school again. Oh, is your car under repair shot, Connie? Yes, it is. What's wrong with it this time? Well, I can't be sure, but I think that Joe, the mechanic, and my car are that way about each other. <laughs> I try to separate them, the car blows a gasket. Oh, there's Walter now. I'll be right with you, Walter. Oh, before you go, Connie, please do me one favor. Certainly, what is it? Promise me you'll be very careful today. Careful? Oh, you mean about my fortune. Mrs. Davis, I give you my word of honor, I'll let you know in plenty of time to call Mrs. Fletcher. <laughs> Walter, it's very nice of you to keep driving me to school like this. Oh, that's all right, Miss Brooks. I don't like to take advantage of the fact that because your car is incapacitated and I can jump into the breach now and then, transportation-wise, that is, you can't very well refuse gracefully, but I'm telling you, you can before I even ask you. That's square enough, isn't it? Square as things in Clyde McCoy. <laughs> but being an English teacher, I practically understand you, Walter. Just what kind of advice do you need this morning? Oh, it's a girl. What's the girl? Harriet Conklin. Why, Walter Denton, you've been wearing your glasses again. <laughs> what about Harriet? Well, I'm afraid it's a pretty long story. That's all right. I have a pretty long ear. <laughs> well, as you know, Miss Brooks, Harriet Conklin is the daughter of Mr. Conklin. Granted. Who, in turn, is married to Harriet's mother, Mrs. Conklin. It all started the night before last. See, I told you it was a long story. Only the way you tell it. Go ahead. <laughs> well, the night before last, I had a date with Harriet to go to the movies. When I got to her house to pick her up, she acted like I had bubonic plague or something. Did you? I mean... <laughs> what did she do? Well, she said that she couldn't be bothered with me anymore because a tall, dark man was coming into her life. Her too? <laughs> must be an epidemic. Where did she find out about this tall, dark man? Well, that's where mother comes in. Maybe there's a shorter way to listen to this story. <laughs> Her mother and Harriet had taken out the Ouija board that afternoon. That's when they found out about this tall guy. Well, after all, Walter, you can't compete with a non-existent rival. That's just the trouble. He's not non-existent. He's not? No, he materialized yesterday. Oh, now, Walter, please. No, it's I... true, Miss Brooks. Harriet told me all about him when I called yesterday evening, although I wasn't going to after the way she treated me the evening before. But when I did, she told me that this tall, dark French teacher had checked in at their house to give her father his papers before he began teaching French at school today. I know you're telling me something because I can see your lips moving. <laughs> what is it, Walter? Well, don't you understand, Miss Brooks? It's called an exchange deal. This teacher came over from Paris, France. What did we send them? Two outfielders and a shortstop? Well, I don't know about that, but I do know that Harriet sounded like this French teacher was a combination of Maurice Chevrolet and... and... I know. Maurice Chevrolet and Charles Buick. <laughs> I was going to say Charles Boyer. That's what I was afraid you were going to say. This teacher must be quite an interesting personality. What's his name? Let's see now. Well, there's an article about him in the school paper. Oh, I know. It's Manette. 
Jacquees Manette. <laughs> Jacquees Manette? Oh, you mean Jack Monet. Say, that is a romantic-sounding name, all right. I'll bet he's a very nice person. Oh, it's not him I'm worried about. It's Harriet. Since he showed up, she thinks the Ouija board is infallible. The Ouija board? Oh, that's ridiculous. Harriet's much too sensible to... Why, <laughs> I'm surprised at her. Next thing you know, she'll be having her tea leaves read. Three children? <laughs> Walter, and don't worry too much about losing Harriet's affections. I'm sure the French teacher is just a passing phase in her life. Hey, there's Harriet on the steps. I'll go find a place to park. See you later, Miss Brooks. All right, Walter. Hello there, Harriet. What? Oh, hello, Miss Brooks. You'll have to forgive me if I seem to be in a reverie. But I've heard about your Ouija board. I don't care what anybody says, Miss Brooks. There must be something to it. Imagine the very next day he came along. It's the first time I've ever seen capital letters in conversation. <laughs> he must be quite attractive. Attractive isn't the word, Miss Brooks. No, what is the word? Heavenly. Super heavenly. Stratospherically heavenly. Please, <laughs> Harriet. I'll come up a little if you'll come down a little. <laughs> oh, wait till you see him, Miss Brooks. Adjust safety belt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, Harriet, I think it's all very natural for a schoolgirl to have crushes. I had them myself. You, Miss Brooks? Yes, me, Miss Brooks. I wasn't born an English teacher, you know. I also think it's perfectly normal for a girl your age to think like a schoolgirl in other ways. But I do say this, and I mean it sincerely, Harriet. You don't have to act like a schoolgirl. But anyway, but you are the principal's daughter, Harriet, no? May we, Monsieur Monet, may we? <laughs> oh, this is Miss Brooks. Miss Brooks, je suis enchanté. That is, I've heard so much about you. But it is, uh, how do you say, understatement. You're so useful, so lovely. Why, you're like a pupil, not a teacher. along, Harriet. You'll be late to school. <laughs> but we're at school. Oh? When did that get here? Something is wrong. Wrong? Oh, I should say not, Monsieur Monet. It's just that, well, we don't meet such distinguished visitors every day, and, well, they must have given at least three outfielders and two short stuff for him. Pardon? Oh, uh, it's just a figure of speech. Oh. And a lovely figure you have, too. Oh, this is a doll. <laughs> Can we go into the school, Monsieur Monet? Uh, oui, yes. I have to stop at Monsieur Conklin's office. You, uh, you show me where it is, huh? No? I, I show you where is it, uh, yes. <laughs> and I hope Mr. Boynton sees us together. I'll direct Monsieur Monet to Daddy's office, Miss Brooks. Oh, you won't have time, Harriet. You have to freshen up before your class. Fresh enough. But I just stepped out of the shower. Then give yourself a rub down. You'll catch cold. 
this way, monsieur. Well, it's our new French teacher. Good morning, Monsieur Minet. Bonjour, Monsieur Conklin. Hey, excuse me, I mean good morning. Hi, Daddy. Hello, Harriet. Uh, Mr. Conklin, I just came in to volunteer my assistance if you're looking for somebody to show Mr. Monet around the school. I told Mr. Cook that I'd be glad to take Mr. Monet, Daddy. Of course, I'd need your permission to cut one of my classes. Maybe English. I'm pretty well advanced in that. Me too. Maybe we both could cut it. <laughs> Please. Please, I would not want either of you to, uh, how do you say, put out your sails. Oh, it would be silly to put out ourselves now. After all, we just started to blaze. <laughs> I'm sure I'll be able to show Mr. Monet the rope. But, Daddy, you're too busy. Oh, much too busy, Daddy. I mean... <laughs> I have a study period coming up in which I don't I have want to hear of... any more about. I'm sure Mr. Monet wouldn't want us to feel that because of him, our entire system was disrupted. Oh, certainly not. I can find my, my own way about the premises. I'm sure that... Well, in that case, come along, Harriet. You're in my first class, you know. Oh, one moment, Miss Wolf. Would you do me the great honor of that? Having lunch avec, uh, with me? With pleasure. <laughs> Oh, but I did have a date with Mr. Boynton. Hmm, I think I'll keep that date, too. Maybe it'll open his eyes a little. Uh, I'll see you in the cafeteria, Mr. Monet. But I thought Mr. Monet was going to have lunch with us. Didn't you tell me you were going to invite him to the house, Daddy? Invite him? Uh, well, I suppose so. Uh, thank you, just the same, Monsieur, but I would rather not leave the school proper during my first day. Ah, an admirable spirit, Monet. If more of our homegrown teachers had it, Madison High School would be a better place in which to learn something. Something like English, for example. <laughs> yes. Well, as the little boy in the fish ad says, it's time to retire. <laughs> Hello, Mr. Boynton. Oh, it's you, Miss Brooks. Uh, how are you today? Fine, thanks. I'm glad I caught you before your class got in. I, I wanted to ask you about lunch. Oh, I'll be happy to join you. Thanks very much. Oh. Well, I had other plans, but how can I resist an invitation like that? By the way, Mr. Boynton, do you speak any foreign language? Just American. Why, <laughs> <laughs> right, Mr. Boynton, you're getting quite a sense of humor. Must catch it from your frogs. <laughs> really, though, do you speak French, for instance? No, I don't. Then you wouldn't know what a French person would be saying to me if he said it in French, would you? No, I wouldn't. Good. <laughs> this may be a very interesting lunch for all of us. All of us? Yes, you see, there's a new teacher in school. Oh, you, you mean Jacques Monet? You've met him? Oh, yes. I had to deliver some papers to Mr. Conklin's home yesterday, and he was there. Oh, he's a prince of a chap. We had quite a time together. Be nice to see him again at lunch. Oh, it will. Oh, yes. Uh, as a matter of fact, you'll uh, have to apologize to him for me. I'm afraid I'll be a little late. Oh, you will? That's too bad, Mr. Boynton. Why will you be late? Well, it's McDougal here. You know, my bullfrog. He's got me worried, Miss Brooks. It's his throat. He can't seem to croak above a whisper. Oh, that's too bad. Poor McDougal. Hi, Max. <laughs> <laughs> he must have gargled. <laughs> it sounds pretty good, but... 
No, I'll still have to stay close to him to see how the medication I'm giving him catches on. I'll get to lunch as soon as I can, though. Ah, good old Jacques Monet. He's a real man's man. You've been wrong before, Brother Boynton, but never like this. <laughs> Here's a nice table, Mr. Monet. Let's sit down. Oui. Uh, yes, Miss Wolf. This is certainly a big restaurant. It's a cafeteria, Mr. Monet. Uh, yes. Uh, now then, shall we look at the carte du jour, bill of fare? Bill of fare? Mm-hmm. Oh, you mean menu. They don't have any menus here, Mr. Monet. No? Then how do you select an order? Well, here you don't exactly select an order. You just sort of point and holler. <laughs> I'll show you in a minute. But first, I'd like to ask a little favor, Mr. Monet. As you know, Mr. Boynton is joining us for lunch. Oh, yes. Yes, fine fellow, Mr. Boynton. A real uh, man's man. On him, it's it. <laughs> I mean, he is a very nice man, but he's sort of shy. Shy? Mm-hmm. Why should he be shy? He is tall, muscular, with a fine head of hair, good teeth, pleasing manner. What else is new? <laughs> what I wanted to ask of you is very simple. You see, Mr. Boynton is too bashful to ask you himself, but I'm sure he'd get a tremendous kick. That is, he'd enjoy it if you spoke nothing but French during our lunch. But why? Well, he's trying to learn how to speak your language. He understands it fine, but he's not sure of his pronunciation. He could learn a lot from you about a lot of things. <laughs> well, I suppose I could help him. He's coming over now, Mr. Monet. Uh, remember how you kissed my hand this morning? Uh, Would you do it again, please? What? Uh, but uh, Quickly, I... Mr. Monet. It's part of Mr. Boynton's education. <laughs> Hurry, in my hand. Uh, Miss Brooks, I don't like to be, how do you say, gouchy, but you're pushing out one of my feelings. <laughs> What's the trouble, Mr. Monet? Got something caught in your teeth? Just an old cuticle of mine. <laughs> Sit down, Mr. Boynton. Comment ça va aujourd'hui, monsieur? Yeah. Uh, how do you like our cafeteria? C'est bon. Mr. Monet says it's lovely, but not half as lovely as I am. Why, Mr. Monet, how flattering. <laughs> well, let's see now. What do we eat today? Well, uh, how about the roast beef? That's what I'm going to have. Me too. How about you, Mr. Monet? Tell him in French. Uh, je désire un petit mamie, ou vichyssoise, une salade et une tranche de roast beef, des haricots verts, des crêpes suzettes et une demi-tasse. Oh, Mr. Monet, you and your compliments. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now stop that and tell Mr. Boynton what you want to eat. But <laughs> I do not understand. I, uh, uh, Mr. Monet, uh, quel voulez-vous manger? You little spy, you can speak French. Uh, No, I can't, Miss Brooks. Not really. Those are just a few words I picked up when I was in the Army. The Army? You were stationed in New Orleans, and you know it. But near the French Quarter. (laughs) Well, uh, let us not delay any longer. I don't suppose they have what I really want for lunch, but maybe, eh? Do they ever have frog's legs? What? Oh, don't say it, (laughs) Mr. Monet. (laughs) Well, uh, why not? Frog's legs are delicious to eat. Let's all have them, huh? Me? Eat frog's legs? I'd feel like a... like a cannibal. If you'll excuse me, I'm afraid I've lost my appetite. I'll I'll see you later, Miss Brooks. Why, uh... Why would he feel like a cannibal if he ate frog's legs? He is not a frog. (laughs) Oh, 
Only in some ways is he not a frog, Mr. Monet. But don't worry about Mr. Boynton now. Oh, yes, you're right. You're right, Miss Wood. You know, in a way, in a way, I'm glad we're alone. There is something I would like to ask you. You see, I, I have been searching for just the right one ever since I come to America. And now, now, well, I feel that my search is at an end. You are the one I've been searching for. Oh, Mr. Monet. But Mr. Boynton's gone now. You don't have to talk like that to me. Oh, I don't think of Mr. Boynton. I, I think of you, Miss Brooks. Ma chère, Miss Brooks. I have something personal to talk to you about. But right now I'm late for an appointment with Mr. Conklin. Can you meet me someplace? Right after school. How about the Casbah? I mean... <laughs> I mean the park. Fine, fine. Of course, I have several papers to mark, and besides, I have to formulate my plans for tomorrow's class, and there are some other routine affairs I must take care of. Oh, I realize this. How long will it all take? Well, school doesn't let out until three, and it's a 20-minute walk to the park. Would 310 be all right? <laughs> I, I will come right to the point, Miss Brooks. I have met you here in the park to make you what you call proposal. Proposal? But, Mr. Monet, you hardly know me. Oh, I know you well enough for this, Miss Brooks. After talking to many, many women, Mrs. Conklin, little Mrs. Conklin, about Harriet. Mm. I mean, I know you are the ideal woman for me. Oh, this is very flattering, Mr. Monet, but... Marriage is a serious step. Marriage? I cannot marriage with you. I am already married. With you? <laughs> well, with my wife, Helene. She arrives here next week. For you, I have another proposal. Any other proposal is only good for a sock in the nozzle. <laughs> no, no, you, you do not understand. I want you to accept a position as tutor for my three children. Three children? Oh, Mrs. Davis will love this. Well, they need very badly coaching in English before they can enter school here. And, well, what do you say, Miss Wolf? Will you help us out? Mr. Monet, may I ask you one question? Of course. What is it? Among your children, is there a tall, dark one in the crowd? <laughs> And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, I promised Mr. Monet I'd help him out with his children, but I must admit I was a little let down when I found out he wasn't a bachelor. And I said as much to Mrs. Davis. Yes, Connie, it's a shame that such a darling man is already married. But he served his purpose as far as upsetting Mr. Boynton goes. What do you mean, Connie? Well, the day after we had lunch together, Mr. Boynton was so concerned about the situation, guess what he did? What? He put a brand new lock on his frog's cage. <laughs> Next week, tune in to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Soap, Your Beauty Hope, and Luster Cream Shampoo for soft, glamorous, green girl hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Gloria McMillan, and Gerald Moore. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. 
Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. You want to be free to work where you choose, start your own business, own your own home, invest your money as you see fit, then the American way of life is best for you. We have the highest standard of living. Since 1910, we have practically doubled our annual income, yet our working time has been cut by about 18 hours a week. Let's start to realize how fortunate we are. Let's work a little harder on our jobs and at being better citizens. Let's remember that the better we produce, the better we live. Stay tuned now for Lumen Abner, Bob Lamont speaking at the CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting Company. Stay tuned for Nick Carter, Master Detective, next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. And now, Nick Carter, Master Detective. Goose Murder, another case for that most famous of all manhunters, the detective whose ability at solving crime is unequaled in the history of detective fiction, Nick Carter, Master Detective. Listen, Patsy, why do you have to come back to the office at this time of night? I just want to be sure that I finished everything before I left Scubby. With Nick away, it sort of leaves the responsibility on my shoulders. Okay, but shake it up, will you? The last show starts at 8.40 and it's 8.20 now. This won't take but a minute, Scubby. I simply want to have everything in order for the morning. (sighs) That was a good feed we had, wasn't it? Mmm, that sad was out of this world. Oh, doggone it. I knew we should have stayed away from this place. Nick Carter's office, Patsy Bowen speaking. Mr. Carter there? Uh, not at the moment. Who's calling, please? Mark Bradley, manager of the Red Goose. When do you expect Mr. Carter? Uh, I can't say exactly. Uh, can I do something for you? I'm his assistant. Maybe you could help me out. Well, I'd be glad to if I can. Suppose you tell me why you called. It's like this. My girl singer has just died very suddenly. Oh. She was all right a half hour ago, but when I stopped in the room just now, she was slumped on the floor dead. Looks very hard to me. Well, why don't you call the police? I was going to, but the police visiting my nightclub would hurt business. And she may not have been killed, so I wondered if Mr. Carter... You see, I met him the other evening at one of his lectures. Oh, I see. I wondered if he wouldn't come over and see what actually happened before I do anything further. If you have any suspicion that her death wasn't natural, Mr. Bradley, you'd better call the police. Yes, I suppose I had that. Uh, who should I call? Can you tell me? Uh... Oh, look, Mr. Bradley, leave it to me. I'll take care of it for you. Oh, well, that'll be fine. Thank you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye. Now what? More trouble? Oh, not for us, Gubby. I have to call Sergeant Madison. Then it's up for the movie. Oh, swell. <laughs> I thought for a minute we were going to miss that western. Oh, no, sir. Come aside. Sergeant Madison. Oh, hello, Sergeant. This is Patsy. Oh, hiya, Patsy. What's up? Art uh, Bradley, manager of the Red Goose on West 7th Street, says his girl singer is dead, and he thinks maybe she didn't die naturally. You better take a look and see what's what. Nick going over? Oh, uh, no. Nick's out of town for a few days. You'll uh, have to solve this alone, if you can. What do you mean, if I can? <laughs> I solved murder cases before you was born. Just because Nick has helped me out once or twice... I, I apologize, I... Sergeant. Happy hunting to you. Yeah. Bye. 
Come on, Patsy. We just got time to make it. Right with you, Scubby. Let's see how the movies do it, just for a change. So this is just the way you found her, Bradley, huh? Nothing been touched? Nothing, Sergeant. See, I opened the door to the dressing room to speak to her, and there she lay on the floor. I shut the door again and called Mr. Carter. Good. Yep. Yeah, it's murder, all right. You see this? That mark around her neck, you mean? Yeah. Strangled with a fine cord or a wire, maybe. It's murder, sure. Only dead a few minutes, too. Not more than 15 or 20, I'd say. Uh, how did you happen to come to her dressing room, Bradley? Well, it's payday today, and I brought up the payroll sheet for her to sign. Yeah, I'd given her an envelope downstairs sometime before, but she hadn't signed for it. How much did she make? 150 a week. Hmm. Good racket she was in. Make more than I do. Uh, that her handbag on the dressing table? Yes, I think so. Uh, notice it's open. Let's see if she's still got all that dough. Empty, by golly. Not a cent left in it. Hey, that must have been the motive for the killing. Yeah. Robbery. Uh-huh. Beautiful kid like that killed for a measly 150 bucks. Wait till I get my hands on the guy that did... Yes, you do, Sergeant. Patsy, what are you doing here? And the demon reporter, Scubby Wilson. Hiya, Maddie. We were almost to the movies when Patsy's feminine curiosity got the better of her. She just couldn't stand the idea of a murder investigation going on without her being here to poke her nose in it. Uh-huh. Well, Patsy, now that you've poked your nose in, you can just poke it right out again. I don't need no help from you. What? Sergeant, I wasn't trying to help. I was just interested. Mm. Uh, is that where she killed, Sergeant? Yeah, strangled with a cord or a piece of wire. Oh. 150 bucks stolen out of her handbag. And no more questions, see? Yes, Sergeant. But please, may I just watch? Okay, okay. Just don't bother me. I won't. Uh, Bradley, how many rooms on this floor? There are three rooms on the second floor, Sergeant. My office, this dressing room, and the dark room. All on this side of the building. Dark room? What's that for? That's where the girl who takes the flashlights of customers in the club develops the pictures she takes. As soon as she gets three or four snaps, she comes up and makes prints for the customers to buy. Then she could have been in and out of this room any time. Yes. Yes, she could. I want to talk to her. Sure, sure. Hey, if all three rooms are on this side, they must all look out onto that roof next door. Yes, they do. The adjoining building is a one-story flat roofed affair, same length as this one is. Uh Uh-huh. Windows always kept open, Ollie? Oh, on hot nights like this, yes. You ever see anyone on that roof? Uh, from this club, I mean. No, I don't ever remember any of our people ever going out there. No reason why they... Oh, oh, uh, Marie. Just a minute. Yes, Mr. Bradley. Sergeant, this is Marie, the girl who takes the pictures. You oh. said you wanted to talk to her. Yeah, I do. Uh, Marie, uh, when did you see this girl? This... Uh... Paula! What's happened to her? Is she... Yes, Marie. She's dead. Been killed. Poor Paula. When did you see her last? It was just after her first show, maybe half an hour ago. Was she all right when you saw her? Oh, yes. She she was as happy as anything. She came upstairs just as I finished printing my last batch of photos. I asked her for an autographed picture of herself. And she said that if I'd take one, she'd autograph it for me. You took one, did you? Yes, I snapped it right then. You developed it yet? No, I was just going to now. Uh Uh-huh. Well, let me see it as soon as you get it done. Might get some ideas from it. I'll have it for you in ten minutes, officer. And may I watch you, Marie? I used to take pictures when I was a kid. Uh, I'm Patsy Bowen, Sergeant Matheson's assistant. Yeah, my assistant. My pain in the neck. Well, that's Miss Bowen. I'm glad to have you. Did you ever develop your pictures? Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah, women. They give me a pain. 
Mr. Bradley, how many employees do you have here in the Red Goose? Why, there are 12 in the kitchen crew, seven in the orchestra, five front men in the lobby and inside, the Czech girl, flower girl, and Marie. I want to talk to them, all of them. Get them up here. Yeah, look, Sergeant, couldn't we sort of take it easy, just talk to them one at a time, kind of private-like? I don't want to upset the whole club. Give a club bad name, you know. Oh, don't give it another thought, Mr. Bradley. Sergeant Matheson is the soul of discretion and the epitome of integrity. Hey, are you calling me names again? Oh, not at all, Maddie. They were compliments. If you only knew it. Well, pipe down, will you? Okay, Bradley, I'll take it easy. But I want to talk to every one of them. Alone or together, I don't care. Now, come on, let's get started. Sergeant, yeah. I've got some news for you. Yeah? What is it, Stubby? Your homicide squad is all through. Just left. Oh, some news. That helps a lot. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you finished your checkup? Yeah. yeah, we've accounted for all but two waiters and one of the front men. And all three of them have been with me for years. They can't be mixed up in this. Who says they can't? Anybody could be mixed up in it. But we'll let them go for now. I want to ask that Marie a few questions. She's the one nobody can check up on. Let's go back up and see what she's got to say for herself. If you don't mind, Sergeant, I'll stay down here. You two go right ahead. Ask her anything. All right. Come on, Scully. Right with you, Matty, old boy. Bradley says she only makes 35 bucks a week. What she can get out of the customers. She could have needed that money. Oh, she seems like a nice kid, Matty. I don't think she'd be You too? When will you guys learn that appearances don't mean a thing? Oh, there you are. Oh. Look for you. Marie's been waiting to show you the picture she took of Paula. Here it is, officer. Yeah. You just think she'll never autograph it for me now. Yeah. Looks happy enough. And look at this one, Sergeant. What? That's the picture Marie took while Paula was singing her last number. See you in the background? Yeah. And see whose picture it is. Hey, that's Alworth Van Keppel, the millionaire playboy. Uh-huh. Does he come here often? Oh, about once a month, and always with a different girl. Blonde this time. He always gets his picture taken, too, and he's always good for a swell tip. Marie, suppose you and me have a little talk. Now? Yeah. Oh, I have to go down and deliver these pictures before the customers leave. Okay, but make it snappy. Uh, I'll go with you, just in case. In case of what? Just in case. Wasn't Marie nice, Cubby? She made me extra copies of the last batch of pictures for my scrapbook. Patsy, uh, let me see that picture of Ann Keppel again. Sure, Cubby. Ah, it's a good one, isn't it? Mm. Patsy, how many men do you see in the orchestra of this picture? Huh? Oh, jeez, Cubby, they're so far in the background, it's hard to tell. Well, look closely. Five, six. Six, why? Well, Bradley told us there were seven men in the band. The picture shows only six. Huh? Well, I wonder where the other one was. Well, how are you folks oh. making out? Find anything yet? Oh, uh, Mr. Bradley, you said there were seven men in the band. Yes. Well, this picture taken during the first show tonight shows only six. That's so. Let's see. Yes, the guitar player, Steve Dawson, isn't there. See, that's funny. Any idea why he wasn't there when this picture was snapped? No, no, I know he was there when the show started, and he's there now. I saw him as I came up. I don't understand this, Cubby. Huh? Do you suppose he could have... Oh, Bradley, oh. Uh, Marie tells me this was Paula's last night here. She was going to work for another club beginning tomorrow night. Mm, yes, is that true? Well, how come you didn't tell me about that before? I guess it just slipped my mind, Sergeant. Why was she leaving? Oh, she got a better job. More money than I could pay her. 
That's all. Sergeant, while Paula was singing her last number, the guitar player was missing from the band. You suppose he could have come up here and, and done this? A guitar player, huh? Hey, Bradley, do these musicians have a dressing room here anywhere? Yes, yes, they do, on the third floor. They keep their stuff in lockers up there. How much longer are they going to be playing? You see, it's 9.10 now. They break at 9.30. Uh-huh, so we got 20 minutes. Let's have a look at this guitar player's locker. Maybe he knows something about this. Which one is this, uh, Steve's locker? It's the third one from the left. Got his name on it. Good. Oh, not locked. That helps. No? Nothing in this old jacket. Just the racing form. Hey, what's that written on it? Huh? Oh, Central 8740, Mike. That's probably his bookmaker. Yeah, probably. These boys play the horses pretty heavily, I understand. Oh, Yeah. Then the Steve could need money, maybe, if the nags weren't running for it. Anything else there, Sergeant? No, Patsy, only this old guitar case. Oh, and that's empty. Gosh, they use nice velvet for the lining, don't they? Well, maybe it was nice once, but it's pretty well shot now, Patsy. Oh, yes. Look at this big tear in it. It's... Oh, Sergeant, look at this. What? Money. Hidden in the lining. Right. Seven twenties and a ten. Say, that's what I paid Paula tonight. What? So Steve took it, but... But why did he have to kill her to get it? He could have got it without that. Well, we don't know that he did kill her, Mr. Bradley. The guy that got the money is the guy that did the killing, according to my book. Hey, Bradley, get Steve Dawson up here. We'll see if he can get out of this. Certainly, Sergeant. I'll have him meet you in Paula's room right after the band breaks for intermission. And you can bet I'll keep my eye on him until then. Uh, Mr. Bradley, do you have a phone we could use? Yes, of course. It's one in my office. The room right next to Paul. Thanks. Come with me, Scotty. I've got a job for you. Anywhere with you, beautiful. Just lead the way. You say you want me to call this number we found on Steve's racing form? Right, Scotty. And ask for Mike. Well, do you want me to ask him anything special? Well, no, just say it's Steve Dawson calling. Yeah. Then stall around and see if maybe he won't let something slip about Steve's finances. Okay, what can we lose? Here goes. Right. Eight, seven. Oh, I wish I knew what this Steve's voice sounds like. Well, just talk a little husky, as if it were a bad connection. Michael never know the difference. I hope. The purple pig. Good evening. Oh, hello. Is Mike there? This is Mike. Who's talking? Steve Dawson. Oh, yeah, Dawson. You got the money ready for me? Well, I've got part of it. Part of it? Hey, listen, you know what I told you. You have it all when I call for it tonight or else. The whole 300 bucks you borrowed, and the $100 interest for the two weeks you had it. Well, isn't there some way I can let you have part of it now and the rest of it? Got to stall it, Dawson. 400 smackers in a bunch by 1 o'clock tonight for trouble. And I mean trouble. Okay, Mike. Goodbye. So Steve did need money. He sure did. $400 by 1 o'clock tonight and no fooling around either. So Steve might have needed that money so bad he'd be willing to kill Paul to get it. Well, it sure looks that way from where I sit. I wonder Scubby, if... Gubby, what's that on the floor over under the window? Huh? Oh. Looks like tar. Tar? Yeah. Tar off somebody's heel. Maybe somebody was out on the roof and got some on his shoe. Mr. Bradley said nobody ever went out there. But look here. Here's a smudge on the windowsill, too, Scubby. Do you suppose... Have you got a flashlight, Patsy? Yeah, my mind. Well, one's here in my bag. I think I'll have a look at the roof outside this window. 
there might be footprints or something. If you're going out there, I am too. Give me a hand. Okay, beautiful. Here. Easy now. There you are. Hey, tar on this roof is soft, isn't it? Yeah, tar roofs generally get that way on warm days. No, I don't see any prints here anyway. Mm-mm. Well, that doesn't prove anything, of course. Soft tar wouldn't hold prints very well. Scrubby, this fireplace must fire escape. Oh, I'm getting all mixed up. Must be the one that goes up to the musician's locker room. Well, it probably is. I remember seeing one when we were up there before. Uh, is Paula's body still in the room? No, they took it away after the homicide boys finished their investigation. Oh, I'm glad of that. I don't... Oh. What's the matter? I tripped over something. Caught my toe in it. Well, there's nothing here, Patsy. Oh, wait. Huh? Ah, here's an old guitar string. Maybe a trip done that. An old guitar string? And Steve plays the guitar. Funny, isn't it? How do you mean funny? The sergeant says Paula was choked with a cord or a piece of wire. Of course. And finding this guitar string here is no coincidence at all at all. I wonder. What do you mean, I wonder? Huh? Oh, I don't know, Scubby, but that's what Nick always says when he's not sure of something. Oh, his master's voice, huh? Uh, something like that. Uh-huh. I'm just trying to think the way Nick would do it if he were here. Oh, I wish he were here, too. Oh, I don't know. It looks pretty open and shut to me. I know it does, but that's always the time Nick says to... Scubby. There's one of the musicians just coming into Paula's room. That must be Steve Dawson. Yeah, come on. I want to hear what he has to say. You want me, Sergeant? Yeah, come on in. Have a chair. Mind if we join you, Sergeant? For the love of Pete, what are you two doing out there on the roof? All just looking at the stars, that's all. Do you mind if we come in? I don't mind what you do so long as you don't get my way. Thanks. Help me up, Scubby. Right. Here you are. How easy. Watch the sill. Uh, uh, Oh, thanks, Scubby. Oh. Won't you come in, too, Mr. Wilson? Oh, delighted, Miss Owen. So kind of you to offer me. Will you two ever stop clowning? This is a murder case. Murder? What have I got to do with a murder? Everything, if I ain't mistaken, Dawson. Where were you at about 8 o'clock tonight? 8 o'clock? Yeah. Playing with the band, same as always. That's so. Patsy, where's that picture you had? Here it is, Sergeant. Thanks. Now, then, Steve, show me which one in this picture is you. Why, uh, I don't seem to be there. Uh, when was this taken? During Paula's last number in the first show tonight. Now, where were you? Oh, yeah, I, I remember now. I, I was late coming in. Mr. Bradley said you were there when the show opened. Huh? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I had to step out for a minute. You need money pretty bad, don't you? Money? Yeah. No, I just got paid tonight. I got plenty. You didn't get paid enough to repay the loan Mike made you. Three hundred bucks plus a hundred interest. Hey, what's that? Where did you find that out? Mike told us. Mike? What do you know about Mike? And he's calling for you at one o'clock tonight, isn't he? I don't know what you're talking about. No? Then why did you kill Paula Windsor tonight and then swipe a hundred and fifty dollars from her purse? And don't try to lie out of it. We found the money in that old guitar case in your locker. I didn't kill her. I swear it. Sergeant, we found this on the roof just outside the window. What's that? String for a fiddle or something. So what? Could be a guitar string, Maddie. What? That settles it, Dawson. You saw Bradley give Paula her salary earlier tonight, so you sneaked off the bandstand during your last number, came up to her room, and tried to sneak her purse. She caught you, and you killed her. No, I didn't kill her. I didn't. You strangled her with a guitar string you happened to have in your pocket and threw it out the window. I didn't kill her. She wasn't even in the room when I took the money. Oh, so you admit you stole the money. Yeah. Yes, I stole it, but I didn't kill her. She was just finishing her song when... 
when I got back downstairs. No good, Dawson. If you can make a jury believe that, you're a better man than I think you are. But I tell you, I didn't, Joe. Look here, Scotty. I took the money... Here's a slip of paper on her dressing table with that same number on it that we just called. C-E-8740. wonder what she was doing with that. Playing the horses, maybe. I doubt it. Sergeant, may I ask Mr. Dawson a question? Oh, you again. All right, ask it. Let me get out of here. Uh, Mr. Dawson, what did you and Paula have in common about the purple pigs? Nothing. Mike is the manager there, and he's my bookie. Paula was supposed to start singing there tomorrow night. Mike met her here when, when he came over once to see me and gave her a job. That's all. So that's where she was going. Yeah. Bradley was all burned up about it, but Mike offered her more than Bradley did, so... She gave notice. Come on, Dawson. You and I, you and I have a date at headquarters. Look, Sergeant. I'm I... booking you for robbery and possible murder. Now hold out your hands. I got a bracelet for it. But I tell you, I, I just you don't... tell me don't count. <sighs> so long, Miss Patsy Carter. If you pick up anything I missed, uh, give me a ring. I'm always happy to hear from you. Why? Thank you, Sergeant. Well, Scubby, what do you think? I think if I killed a girl with a guitar string, I'd never throw it out the window where it would be found first thing. That's the way I feel. And it seems to me that if Paula did catch Steve Dawson stealing her money, he wouldn't be likely to go fishing around in his pockets to see if he had an old guitar string he could kill her with. Gosh, you're right, Patsy. He'd more likely strangle her with his bare hands. You know, Scuffy, I think the murder had nothing to do with the robbery. I think whoever killed Paula did it deliberately and used the guitar string to throw suspicion on Steve Dawson. Which would account for his leaving it right outside where it would be sure to be found. Uh And I noticed another thing, too, Scubby, that makes me think Dawson didn't kill her. It's not proof, but it's something to think about. Yeah, what's that? Well, when I saw Paula's body, I noticed that she had unzipped her dress as if she were going to take it off. Uh And her shoes were off, and one of her stockings was unfastened. Which means she'd been in her room long enough to start changing her costume. Good girl. And if she'd been leaning over and fastening her stockings, the killer could have crept up behind her without being seen. Yeah, that's, that's what I was thinking. Oh, poor kid. Just look at this picture of Heather Marie took tonight. She's laughing and looks as if she didn't have... Scabby! Huh? Look at this picture. Look at the mirror. Hey, there's the figure of a man reflected in the mirror. From the angle at which the picture was taken... He must have been standing on the roof just outside her window. Oh, he probably thought he couldn't be seen, but the camera caught him in the mirror. Plain enough to make out who it is. No, the picture doesn't show him very plainly. But it's definitely a man in a black coat, and the musicians wear white. So it's not the guitar player. Scubby, this man has a flower in his buttonhole. It's the right buttonhole instead of the left, the way most men wear them. Hey, let's ask Bradley. Maybe he'll be able to recognize who it is. Right, Scubby, come on. We'll show Sergeant Matheson yet. Miss Bradley? Yes? Uh, Miss Bradley, we've got something to show you. Can we go somewhere where it won't be so noisy? Yes, yes. Suppose you go right in here. With the door closed, you can at least hear yourself think. Ah, yes, this is better. Now, what have you found that would interest me? And Mr. Bradley, this picture was taken this evening in Paula's room right after the first show. Oh, yes, I remember Marie saying that she took one. If you look in the mirror, you can see the reflection of a man standing outside her window on the roof. What? Yes. Yes, I see. It's a pretty pity it isn't a better picture of him so he could recognize who it is. Mr. Bradley, have you ever been out on the roof outside your office? What? 
No, I never go out there. Then how do you suppose the spot of rooftop got on the rug in your office? I wouldn't have it. It probably came off your shoe, Mr. Bradley. I see there's still some tar on the heel. But I did Your right heel. Say, look here, are you implying that I killed Paula? I am. I didn't realize it until I saw you again just now. But you wear your flower in your right lapel. Practically no one does that. You're a pair of idiots. Why should I kill Paula? I had no motive to do a thing like that. I don't understand about the motive part either, Mr. Bradley, but I'm sure you killed her. Now, see here. Just because I happen to be standing outside Paula's window when Marie snapped that picture doesn't prove that I killed her. Just went out for some air and then went back to my office. She was alive the last time I saw her. You've forgotten one thing, Mr. Bradley. Your fingerprints are on the guitar string you strangled her with. All right, so I killed her. What are you two going to do about it? I'll have you two taken care of so fast. Sit you down, even... Mr. Bradley. You can't scare me with that little pop gun. Don't kid yourself, Mr. Bradley. Patsy knows how to use that gun, and she will if she has to. And a twenty-two makes just as good a hole in a man's heart as a forty-five does if it's aimed right the way Patsy aims. Thank you, Scubby. Now, will you sit down, Mr. Bradley? Now, Scabby, if you'll call Sergeant Matheson, he can put both the robber and the killer in the same cell. You mean you're going to be at that typewriter for another hour yet? Well, I'm sorry, Scotty, but I have to have a full report ready for Nick when he comes back. Uh, and I want to get it down in black and white while it's still fresh in my mind. Okay, okay, I quit. I'm going home. I'll see you again sometime, I hope. Why, I hope so, Scotty. Give me a ring sometime when you're free. Oh, darn you, Patsy Bowen. If I wasn't in love with you, I'd ring your neck. <laughs> Good night, Scotty, dear. Good night. Poor Scubby. Ah, let's see. Where was that? Oh, yes. Nick is office, Patsy Bowen speaking. This is Manning, Patsy. Oh. I just wanted to tell you, Bradley made a full confession. He did? Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'll put that in my report, too. Oh, uh, what'd he say? He said he planned to kill Paula tonight, so he waited on the roof outside her window for her to come back from the floor show. Uh-huh. It was while he was standing out there that he saw Steve Dawson swipe the money out of her purse. Oh. Well, that gave him the idea that he could have a perfect alibi by making Steve the goat for the killing as well as the robbery. <laughs> so he went up the fire escape to the musician's room, found an old guitar string Steve had thrown out, and got back outside Paula's window just in time to see Marie's snapper picture. I see. And then, while she was changing her clothes, he crept up behind her and strangled her. Oh. And threw the guitar string out on the roof where it'd be found by the police. Or by someone else. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, did he say what his motive was? Yeah. He loved Paula, but she turned him down cold. Oh. He discovered this. He gave her her first oh. job. He felt she owed him something, but she told him to his face that he had done nothing for her and that she was leaving him for a better job with a better man. Oh. Well, that made him so mad, that and the fact that he really loved her desperately... That he decided if he couldn't have her, nobody else was going to. Oh, the poor guy. Love is an awful thing sometimes. Yeah. Especially if it's not returned. Yeah, but look, Patsy. There's one thing I don't understand. You said you told him his fingerprints were on the guitar string. Now, what was the idea of that? Well, 
Nick always has something to clinch the case with, so I happen to think of that. What you want to know, a guitar string wouldn't take any fingerprints? Sure, Sergeant, I knew it. But Mr. Bradley didn't. Well, Patsy, in the absence of Nick, I suppose I'll have to get my hints on next week's show from you. How about it? I sure can do, Carl. The case started when both Vince O'Neill and Otto Lerner found they were married to the same girl. Hmm. What did Nick do about that? Well, he started out to find the girl and straighten things out, if he could. And he found her, I suppose, knowing Nick. Oh, yes, he did. But when he located her finally, she could no longer give him any information. She'd been using a new jar of cold cream and taking a bath. Well, what does that have to do with it? Why, everything. That and the fight on the train. Yeah. All right, all right. What's the name of the story? We call it The Case of the Extra Husband. Nick Carter, Master Detective, which is produced and directed by Jock McGregor, is copyrighted by Street and Smith Publications Incorporated. Pictured stories of Nick Carter appear in every issue of the Shadow Comics. In the broadcasts of Nick Carter, Master Detective, Lon Clark is starred as Nick, Charlotte Mansim is featured as Patsy, Maddie is played by Ed Latimer, Scubby by John Kane. Original music is played by George Wright, script is by Jock McGregor. Any resemblance in these programs to actual persons, living or dead, or to actual places is purely coincidental. Nick Carter, Master Detective, is presented over most of these mutual stations each week at the same time. This is Carl Caruso saying, so long until next week. Auctions are exciting, but we've never heard of a public auction where the bidding went up, up, up to murder. There's your promise of thrilling mystery entertainment again tomorrow night over these mutual stations on Bulldog Drummond's case called Upholstered for Murder. That's Bulldog Drummond, Mondays on Mutual. This program was heard in Canada through the facilities of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Thanks for listening. Tomorrow night, it's the Screen Guild Theater, followed by Richard Diamond. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer of Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great evening. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.